You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. episode number 1124. Go meet those people that are doing it, doing what you want to do and, and learn from them. Educate yourself first. You know, if that means having to pay for that education, I paid dearly a lot of the education that I've done over the last you know, decade or two. So invest in yourself first and then go out and do it. And, you know, just know that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Just make them fast and early and learn from them and learn from other people's mistakes and, and go do it. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. In 2003, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's a chapter in that book that really stands out in my mind. It was about his rich dad's advisors. He'd walk into this room and there'd be a a table and around it would be his banker and his accountant and his business manager and his property manager. And in my mind, I could see it. In my mind, I could feel it. It was like so powerful. I was like, wow, that is incredible that he has all of these people around him helping him for the goal of truly building real wealth. And then I went down the rabbit hole and I read uh, Think and Grow Rich. And in that, there's a chapter about a mastermind in there. So always in my mind, I said to myself, as soon as I get to the point where my my bank account was, was big enough, I was going to really start recruiting incredible people. And I went to a mastermind in Tulum, Mexico, and I met a guy by the name of Jim Dew. And Jim Dew is He lives here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I live here in Phoenix. And what he does is he puts together family offices for entrepreneurs that have built up a certain amount of wealth. And what he does there is he vets out incredible opportunities for places to put your money for really one of three things, for another income stream, for long-term equity growth, and for tax problems, right? If you're paying an incredible amount of taxes and my taxes kept going up and up and up and up, the more that my business was growing, my wholesaling business was growing. And so that led me to the incredible person that I have on the podcast today who put together an incredible fund called Prestige Fund that goes out and buys a bunch of ATMs. And it really, really, really affects how much I pay in taxes. And I'm real excited to dig into that. But this is the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. We're going to be talking about real estate. The person I'm talking about, by the way, his name is Dave Zook. And you can find him at therealassetinvestor.com, therealassetinvestor.com. I highly suggest you check that out. Let me give you some stats here. Had 3,000 multifamily units, just sold them. Has self-storage in the amount of three to $400 million worth of self-storage. And now has three to $400 million in ATM and a bunch of other things. Dave, it is just an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the podcast. Say hello to the Rhino Tribe. Brent, how are you? Hello, Tribe. It's good to be here. So, Dave, you come from a family of entrepreneurs. Is that right? I do. Very fortunate. I was born and raised in a in an entrepreneurial, very business-friendly family, raised in business. And then that's sort of all I know. I mean, I, 
I worked for a few years for my dad and was, uh, you know, on payroll, but that only lasted a few years. I, I started out on my own. So I always tell my wife, I would probably make a terrible employee, but I, I love the business world. I love being an entrepreneur. I, I live and breathe this stuff. And what kind of business was your family in or is your family in? Yeah, so uh, we still are. In fact, the business is growing a lot. And we're in a modular building business. So we have uh, Zook Cabins. My last name, Zook Cabins. We've got uh, Horizon Structures. And we've got uh, Stoltzfus Structures, or the domain name, MySheds.com. So we build outdoor buildings, prefabricated and modular buildings, and we ship them all over the country. In fact, I got two drivers right now that are taking two modular dog kennels to California from Pennsylvania. Awesome. And growing up in a family that, in a family of entrepreneurs, was there any difficult times or has it been pretty smooth sailing? They had really good fundamentals and like your grandpa was an entrepreneur and his dad and all that. Like, is this a long-term family business? Was there any, was there any turbulence? I mean, we're talking to everybody on this podcast, whether they're watching it or listening to this is an entrepreneur. And so, and some are just starting out and there's a lot of time and attention that it takes to really get your business off the ground. What was your experience growing up? Oh, no. I mean, entrepreneurism, business, no, there was no problem. It was smooth sailing. Never had a hard time. No. What do you think? (laughs) Of course, there was hard times. Of course, there was problems. I mean, and here's the thing. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to be a business owner. You got to come to expect that. Buckle up. And, um, you know, because, look, things don't always happen the way they're supposed to happen. I mean, 2008 and 9 happens, right? 2020 happens. COVID happens. Uh, Stuff happens. You got to be, you got to navigate through some things that you don't have in your playbook. You got to make the rules sometimes as things are happening around you. So, no. So in terms of how long in the family business, my dad bought this business the year I was born. So this is second generation. We got third generation. My kids and my brother's kids are now in the business. So I'm second I'm second generation. And it's going down from first generation to second generation. It's going down as pretty much as scripted. You know, first generation builds, second generation, you know, kind of escalates and takes it on its path. Now, what we're what we're trying to do and spending a lot of time, energy and focus on is making sure that the third generation doesn't follow the script. And we're trying to set them up for success to make sure that uh, it'll go on into the fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, tenth generation. Yeah, but Dave, you're already wildly wealthy. I mean, aren't your kids super spoiled? Like, why do they even have to work? Isn't that the dream that your kids can just do whatever they want all the time and just run around and and live life to the fullest? So I'll answer that question like this. My daughter and I just had a conversation about this. Um, She just got her permit. She's 16. She just got her permit. And she was asking me about, you know, if, if she was wondering if I could pay her gas. Uh, you know, she's going to school and, you know, she's wondering if I could pay her gas. And I'm, I, I told her, I was like, absolutely not. That would take away your incentives to go find a job and to work and to make sure that you got enough of money to pay the gas. It's the last thing I want to do. And so instead of giving her the money, though, I've given her some opportunity. You know, she now cleans our real asset investor offices 
and she gets paid well for cleaning them. So I give my kids opportunities, but I don't give them the money. I love it. And you, uh, I had seen in a different interview that your dad was a single family investor, right? Or is a single family investor. And you got into that. What do you think about owning single family properties? I think it's a great place to start. I've owned single family homes. I've, you know, that's kind of where I got my start. I got my oldest son started investing in single family homes. He's, he's got a couple of them now. He's, you know, into some short term rentals and doing very well. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great place to start. I mean, you know, the entry barrier to entry is fairly low. You can get in there and, and I think the, the, the good thing is in that space, you can get a taste of it and you can get away with making a few mistakes. Yep. And that's what it's all about. You want to make mistakes. You want to make mistakes fast, often and early. And you want to learn from those mistakes. And then you kind of want to scale up from there. So it's a, it's a great launch pad, but you get away with making a, a few mistakes without getting killed. I put it on my uh, whiteboard in my office today, Dave, your quote here, forget the mistake, remember the lesson. Exactly. Right? And I feel like single family property, that is your way to really understand and, and, and really make those mistakes, but not get totally wiped out. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and it's okay. It's even better when it doesn't have to be your mistake. You know, it, it's good to go out and make mistakes and learn from them. But it's even better when you can learn from other people's mistakes. And that goes both ways. You know, you, you can learn from other people's mistakes. And you can also learn. It works the same way as when you go learn from people who've done great things and done great things. You will learn how to do those things. You can, you can, you know, um, a good friend of mine, now deceased, Bob Helms, always said, you don't have to come up with your own bright ideas. You can adopt them. You don't have to give childbirth yourself. You can just go ahead and adopt them. Yep. And, uh, you know, take other people's great ideas and learn from them. But the same way with mistakes. I mean, you can watch, you can learn from other people's mistakes. So your dad gave you a great foundation. Your family gave you a great foundation. Did you have mentors? Did you look for people that maybe have made those mistakes and have succeeded beyond those mistakes and learn those lessons that you were able to implement and grow so fast and get to the point where you're at three, 400 million in self-storage and, and the same in ATMs? Oh, for sure. And I still do. You know, I'm, I'm very intentional about keeping my mentors close to me, tapping into, you know, I, I love to have the old gray hair guys on my team. You know, the people that have either made the mistakes or seen the mistakes, you've got a, a deep business background and have been around business, people who can call out my stuff, you know, call out my stuff and or give me guidance. And, you know, when I come out and I come to somebody with, with an issue, a challenge, a problem, an opportunity, whatever, and I can go to, to those people with it and know without a shadow of doubt that I'm going to get good, wise counsel. That's, uh, you, you can't even put a price tag on that. How do, how do you find these people? I mean, it's not like you're just knocking on their door at their office and being like, hey, I hear you're successful. Can you teach me? Yeah. So... I mean, it's it's a work in progress, and it's something that I'll be working on for the rest of my life. You got to start with where you're at. No, you're not going to tap into Warren Buffett on day one, but you know there will be somebody, there will be some successful business person in your town who. One of the things I've found is super successful people are generally 
very open to sharing. Yep. They're not like, oh, no, I hold my cards real close to my chest. And, you know, I don't want you to find any, you know, learn anything because that means you're going to take some of what's mine. They're not like that. And so there will be somebody in your town or close to you somewhere that's doing something very well. And, you know, to be able to tap into that person, whether it's locally or somebody you meet at a meetup, investor meetup or something like that, you know, and and there will be times when you outgrow that person, but you're always, you know, that doesn't mean that you, you know, dump them in the ditch and now you maintain those relationships, but you just take another step, take another step and just continue to grow that. And, And I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. And so, you know, just... You know, there'll be times when you outgrow your CPA, when you outgrow your attorney. Hopefully that's the case. But, you know, this isn't something where you just build and now you've arrived and, and now you just sail for the rest of your life. This is something that, that you continue to do for the rest of your life. So we teach on this podcast to go out there, have quality conversations with people that own distressed real estate, uh, get those properties under contract and sell those to investors that either want to put them into their portfolio or they want to flip them. And that is the seed money that we have to then go out and actually put into assets, right? To go out there and to invest into real estate, invest into something that's going to give us some tax benefits, income stream and long-term equity growth. When you're looking at somebody that's just starting out or you're having a conversation with somebody just starting out, do you think there's a good time and a bad time to buy real estate? So that's a broad question. And real estate, you know, there's so many different kinds of real estate. And it doesn't matter what kind of a bull market you're in. It doesn't matter if the real estate market is white hot. And there's always an opportunity within a certain segment of real estate. So saying opportunity in real estate is, you know, that's pretty broad, you know, and, and you can look at, you know, anything between self-storage and retail and warehousing and industrial, whatever, and, and, and even segments within those asset classes, you know, where there will be opportunity. Now, in as a general statement, let's just go to the most popular asset class, you know, for the last, what, decade or two in multifamily apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that the low-hanging fruit, you know, that we've seen 10 years ago, it's not like that today. Yeah, It doesn't mean that there's not opportunities, but you better know what you're doing. There are opportunities out there, and there's people that do very well, even in today's market, even, and they'll do well, you know, over the next two years, five years, 10 years. But it's not as easy as it was 10 years ago. The low-hanging fruit, like we had in 2013, 2011, 12, 13, 14, when I was buying, not as easy as it was back then. Doesn't Timing mean matters. It's really well and that there's not opportunities, though. Well, and, and I should have clarified. I mean, going in, you know, typically what we do is it's it's like Monopoly, right? We get the the little greenhouses, we get a four of those, and then we put them into a red hotel type of thing, right? Classic yeah. rich dad, poor dad, classic Monopoly, right? And so what most people do, they're finding opportunities. They go and sell these properties or wholesale these properties. They get some income and then they go buy single family properties. And I have seen recently in this market that, People are just getting crushed, just getting crushed by buying these single family properties. One, it's a huge distraction 
from their business of going out there and finding the discounted properties and selling those. But two, they buy a property and and it's just kind of it's just going to kind of be flat for a while. Do you think that timing matters? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, it depends. It depends on why you're doing it. If you're looking to buy to then sell in two years, be careful. Yep. If you're looking to hold for 10 years, uh, at that point, you're going to make sure that you're in a market that's strong, that, that is sustainable, that has some you know interesting drivers, that has population growth and job growth and all those things. You've got to make sure the numbers work. So those are two very different things. And you just got to know which one, where you're at in, in the, in the whole cycle. But if you're a flipper in today's market and you plan to, you know, buy and sell, sell to somebody at a higher price in, in a year from now, that's a different game. And better get good deals. And it better be a good deal. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So you started with multifamily. You were doing single family and then you got into multifamily. You owned 200 units yourself and then you started syndications. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I had bought uh, a couple hundred units. It was more than two. It was probably 300-ish units on my own. So I ran on my own cash and and then I brought my family in and then I brought family and friends after that. You know, it, it really... I really didn't even start out when I first started buying multifamily. I started out buying multifamily because I had a tax problem and uh, I was paying a half million dollars a year in tax. And, and so I was in that conventional box. I thought prior to that, I thought that if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax. And, and when I realized that wasn't true and realized that multifamily apartments and cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation and all that stuff, it could be a real tax protection vehicle that's when I got really interested and started buying those uh, apartment buildings. Fast forward uh, a year or so and a year or two, and I had bought a couple hundred units of my own. Now I've got the team set up. I've got the relationship with the broker. I got everything going on. And uh, there is still, back in the day, there was still a lot of low-hanging fruit. And there was opportunities, cash-flowing properties. And, and so the next deal came along. I'm, I'm out of money the next deal came along and and I'm trying to figure out okay how do we do it? how do we get this deal done and uh, I didn't even know how to spell syndication back then and uh, so anyway so I got a couple I got first it was family then it was family and friends and then it was family and friends and business associates so I sort of just started going down that path and really got to be just you know I could point to what I was doing on my side and then take it out to a business associate and say look you know here's what we're doing you want to play. And uh, so started kind of growing just locally, organically. And and it just really, you know, after delivering good returns for a while, it started really kind of growing on its own organically. And uh, eventually I got um, noticed and, um, you know, started ending up on podcasts like this. That's awesome. And then, but isn't that expensive? I mean, don't you have to, there's a ton of hoops and attorneys and you have to make sure that you, when you're raising funds, that all the paperwork is correct. Was that a big hurdle? Because listen, everybody listening to this wants to be in that position, right? Owning just 2,000, 3,000 properties or even a hundred properties. But at some point you're going to have to raise funds for that. You're going to have to be able to raise capital for that unless you're going to try to do it all yourself. But everybody, 
wants to run faster. They want to get there faster. They want to get these opportunities that are in front of them, especially as the markets shift and we see, you know, some more opportunities coming up in the next few years. I mean, is it overwhelming the first time that you were trying to raise funds and talk to all these attorneys? And how long does that process take? Oh, for sure. I mean, I was way out out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, but it goes back to what you you asked me earlier, and that is, you know, do I have mentors? I went and found the only people that I knew that were teaching this stuff, and they were the best people that I knew that uh, had anything to do with syndication. And I quickly, you know, joined up to their very expensive inner circle and, and uh, you know, surrounded myself with mentors and people who were doing it. And people who were doing things that that I wanted to do and were in places that I wanted to be. And so, you know, I always tell people, you know, I I didn't go to college, but I've paid enough in uh, my own education. I could probably put myself through Harvard a couple of times if I was smart enough, which I'm not. But as far as the expense part, I mean, I, I could have ran myself through some Ivy League schools a number of times with the amount of money that I spent on my own education. Awesome. And you just sold the rest of your apartments. Yes. Yeah, so right? I sold, I sold uh, my last 286 unit apartment building in uh, August. So a couple months ago. Why ever sell them? I mean, you could hold on to them forever, right? People talk about legacy. People talk about buying properties and never selling them. Why did you make the decision to sell them over the last couple of years? There was a number of reasons. A couple of reasons. One is the market was hot. The market was red hot. Felt like a really good time to sell. I had a partner that had some real health issues who was also my property manager. Ended up having to buy him out because he had a very bad... uh, He was in a bad situation from a health perspective. Mm -hmm. There was... you know, And you're talking BNC class. You know, that's very management intensive. And and uh, so, you know, I had an opportunity back in about 17, I believe, back about five, five, six years ago to get into self-storage space. I was always interested in the self-storage space. So I sort of shifted my priorities and started getting into the self-storage space and out of apartments. Could I have done both? Sure. Had I had a world-class partner and a great management team right then, I may have held on to some of them. Although looking back, I mean, you know, buying them in 2012, 13, 14, all the way back up into 17 and 18, I think we bought our last one in the fall of 18, and then sell them into the hype of, you know, 2021 and uh, 22, you know, there was some margin there. So being able to, to kind of take advantage of that situation at the same time, I was kind of, kind of shifting my priorities and going into uh, self-storage. It was a good move. It worked out. Are you able to, with that, I mean, I assume you made just an incredible amount. How do you not get totally destroyed in taxes when you sell that? So there's a number of ways, and I teach this stuff, by the way. I, I teach a lot of people on on how to stay tax efficient. And, uh, you know, being able to, to, to take a 20% capital gain and then being able to invest in car washes, 100% bonus depreciation, ATMs, 100% bonus depreciation in year one, you know, investing in some energy projects, very heavy on the depreciation side. So really just, you know, getting strategic 
uh, with a number of those things and really using the other asset classes to, to shield myself from a tax liability. But that's the game I play. I mean, I, I live and breathe that stuff. So it really wasn't that hard. It's like second nature to me. What is bonus depreciation? Bonus depreciation. Um, so let's take an ATM. We're top four. We're one of the top four ATM players in the country. So look at an ATM like a piece of equipment. Equipment, uh, normally on a regular depreciation schedule, you can write it off to, you know, write it off to, you know, take it down to zero in five years. Yep. Okay. But with the bonus depreciation that's available to us, you can accelerate that and pull that five year depreciation into the first year. So that means like this month in December of this year, if I make a hundred thousand dollar investment into an ATM, into an ATM play, I can get I can get 100% bonus depreciation, meaning if I invest $100,000, my K1 in that first year is going to be, it's going to show $100,000 loss. So that means if I sold an apartment building, I made $100,000 profit. Now I take that $100,000 profit and I place it into an ATM investment. I'm like neutral. I'm like net neutral. So there is no tax. So really, and I, I've taught uh, sessions on this about how to stay tax neutral tax efficient. And that is, you know, figuring out your income and the different kinds of income there are, because that, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your active income, active or ordinary income, you've got your passive income, you've got your capital gains income, and some have, you know, portfolio income. There, there's, you know, six different ones or kind of three primary ones. And then taking different, you know, figuring out what that is for you personally, and then aligning an asset class to, you know, to, to kind of connect or align with that stream of income to wipe out the tax liability on that stream of income. That's the name of the game. And that's, that's the one I play. And the ATMs make a nice return. Oh my goodness. I mean, that, you know, you start with that. You don't start with the tax. You start with the business. You start with the asset, the, you know, the ATM, whatever. You got to make sure that that thing makes sense from a business or an investment perspective. But then the, the tax piece is like the icing on the cake. And so you just, you liquidated all your apartments, put it into other asset classes and protected your profits. Yes. Incredible. Yeah. That ended up being a tax free event for me. And I assume you have just a mountain of accountants helping you. Um, I have one CPA. I mean, he's, he's one of the best in the country. Uh, but we're, you know, I mean, we're talking on a daily and weekly basis. In fact, I was just talking to him an hour before I got, I got, I jumped on here with you, but we're, we're working through this stuff on a daily and weekly basis. And sometimes, you know, we're at a point now where, you know, not only am I working on my own stuff with my CPA, but we're working on some pretty good sized transactions, uh, Last week, I was on a Zoom call with, uh, you know, a 20-something, looked to be a 20-something-year-old guy, sold his portion of the business, which was a 30% stake, sold 30% of his company for $42 million. So in those kind of situations, you know, a lot of times I'll be on, I'll be working with them, talking through stuff. And a transaction like that, where it was a sale and we had to find out, you know, how the business was sold and sort of what entities and if it was stock sale or an asset sale, if it was, you know, if it was uh, ordinary income, passive income, if it was capital gain, you know, all that stuff. In those types of situations, I'll tap into my CPA, I'll bring him on the line, we'll talk through some of that stuff. 
But, you know, working side by side with the best CPA in the country, one of the best CPAs in the country uh, on a daily and weekly basis, um, I can hold my own with some of the best CPAs out there now. I love it, Dave. And you said that you teach about this. Where can people find that? Where can people uh, connect with some of the things that you're teaching about protecting themselves from tax problems? Yeah, so I'm actually on radio shows or podcasts like this quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't seek them out. They they come and, and seek me out. Uh, I'm on the air like this oftentimes several times a week. So I got I got a YouTube YouTube channel that's fairly active, but most of the time I'm teaching on other people's platforms. Sure. So you know, mine isn't like super active because I'm most of the time I'm on I'm on platforms like this where somebody else is the host. And I just come on. So it's a lot less work like that. Sure. I love that. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I do. A hundred percent. Speak now to somebody that's never done a a deal, never done a real estate deal. What advice would you give them? And what instruction would you give them to take action? Well, so I'm a big believer of uh, life rewards action. Yep. So, you know, you can analyze overanalyze, over, overanalyze. And if you're the engineer or the, you know, kind of the person that wants to think everything through and get the answer, you know, that that's your style. Okay. That's fine. At some point though, you're going to have to get off the couch and get off the computer and, you know, you're going to have to go out and do something. Yep. Life rewards action. So go to those investor meetups, go meet those people that are doing it, doing what you want to do and, and learn from them. Educate yourself first. You know, if that means having to pay for that education, I paid dearly a lot of the education that I've done over the last, you know, decade or two. So invest in yourself first and then go out and do it. And, you know, just know that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay. Just make them fast and early and learn from them and learn from other people's mistakes and, and go do it. Dave, thank you so much for being on here. It's an honor. Thank you for taking care of some of my funds and helping me out with my taxes. I really appreciate it. And that's it, guys. Listen, if you're interested in joining the most proactive group in real estate investing, the most proactive community in real estate investing, go to wholesalinginc.com, wholesalinginc.com. Check out what it's all about. If it feels good in your gut, sign up for a call. And that is it, Dave. Thank you for being on here. And as always, I sign off encouraging everybody to go out there and talk to people. Love you guys. See ya. Thanks, guys. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.